Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and as promised last week, we are talking some Georgia hoops today. Those of you who have been listening for a while, you know that's not something that we've done a lot of over the past few years on this podcast, but that's not due to a lack of interest on our part. I can promise you that. Really, it's just more of a reflection of the general lack of interest in Georgia basketball within this fan base and the product that we've seen out there on the court since the time that we launched this podcast back in 2015. You know, we've tried, we have, we've tried to record some basketball-specific episodes, but to peel back the curtain a little bit for you guys, the reality is the listenership for those episodes is just far below that of our usual football-centric episodes, which makes sense if you think about our fan base and what is king here in the Bulldog Nation. I, I wish that wasn't the case, I and mean, I'm happy that we are a football school. Football is my first love and, and true passion in life, so I am thrilled that we are a football school. I don't know if I could ever take it if we were a basketball school. Like, you know, North Carolina, it's great. Like, hey, you have basketball, that's your thing, but it's just not the same. Like, Even if things are humming out now, they've never really been humming for us here in Athens, so maybe I can't really speak on this. Maybe I'm not qualified to speak on it, but from the outside looking in, to me, being a football school is far more preferable than being a basketball school. But I'm not going to lie, I do wish there was more interest in Georgia basketball within our fan base. I really do. But that's just not reality. And look, I don't claim to speak for the entire Bulldog Nation, but just from my perspective, my point of view here, running a Georgia podcast for the past seven years, going on eight years now, the numbers and the traffic that we see on our episodes at least in our small little world here in the Georgia fan base, is it's pretty clear. The interest just isn't there. Those are the cold, hard numbers. I love college basketball. Personally, I love it. I am an avid college basketball fan. I mean, I've told you guys before, I watch college basketball during the college basketball season. I watch it literally every single day of the week from January through March. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I am watching college basketball, and that is not hyperbole. That is exactly what I'm doing. You can ask my wife that, and she could certainly back me up. I even follow the non-conference portion of the schedule, and, and that's tough because that bleeds into the back end of the college football season, 
but I still find a way to watch college basketball at the tail end of the college football season because it's on during the week when there is no college football. So I'm, I'm into it then. I am. I am into college basketball. But again, based on the numbers that we see, the average listener of this podcast, at least, does not seem to share my enthusiasm. And as a show of the people, we generally try, we try our best to produce the type of content that you guys want, that you are interested in, that you want to consume. And trust me, I get that, man. I totally get it. I get why there's not more interest in the Georgia basketball program. It has been a miserable product for years now. And with no basketball tradition to speak of, I do. I completely understand why there is not more of a demand for Georgia hoops content. I mean, what are we supposed to do? Like, What what were we supposed to do this past season? I wanted to talk Georgia basketball. I came into this basketball season planning on covering basketball more extensively than we ever have in the past. That's what I wanted to do. But what was I supposed to do this past season when we were just losing every single game? And not just losing every single game, but just getting murdered in the process. I mean, was I supposed to do a weekly episode breaking down our latest beatdown? Who wants to hear that? I don't think anyone does. I don't think anyone does at all. And I still tried to do a couple of basketball episodes, but again, the numbers told me exactly what I thought was going to happen. No one really wanted to hear me talk about this Georgia basketball team. And again, I wish that was not the case. I wish it wasn't the case, but that's the reality. That's kind of where we are. But, but saying all that, if social media and my inbox are any indication, I'm starting to sense a little more enthusiasm in the fan base, at least our little portion of the fan base, our listenership, now that we have finally cut Tom Crean loose and hired Mike White away from Florida, who is a guy with an Elite Eight resume. That's what he's got in his resume, an Elite Eight. He has been a consistent winner since he took over the head coaching job at Florida. Now, I'm even more excited about it, and I sense even more excitement from the fan base, especially now that Mike White, not just the hiring of Mike White, but now that he has started to rebuild the roster with some far better pieces, at least as far as I'm concerned, and we'll get into all those pieces here shortly, but some far better pieces than what we were working with last season. So yeah, I'm going to capitalize on it, man. I'm going to capitalize on this while I can, this short window of hope and enthusiasm for Georgia basketball while I can here before we get like deep into previewing the 2022 college football season. So I'm going to capitalize on this. We're going to work into a basketball episode today while we can, because barring some like late major addition, that's probably not going to happen. This looks like it's going to be our last chance to talk some basketball, to talk some basketball while we can, before we dive head first into the deep end, previewing the start of the 2022 college football season, because we know that takes priority, but we got a little bit of a downtime right now here in late May, early June, got a little bit of downtime. So this is the time to fit it in. And that is exactly what we are going to do today. We're going to break down what Mike White and company have done to reshape the Georgia basketball roster and the outlook for next season. And in doing so, I want to start with a bold proclamation, a bold prediction, if you will. But before I reveal that prediction, that proclamation, first, let me give you a quick little PSA here, a public service announcement for you guys. If you are currently drinking or eating anything while you listen to this episode, go ahead and and swallow that real fast and just kind of chill out for a second. Wait before you take your next sip or your next bite because 
I don't want to cause any spit takes here. And honestly, if you're driving, you might want to pull over for a quick second because because there is at least like, I don't know, a 42% chance that this will cause you to drive off of the road. It is that bold. At least you are going to perceive it as that bold. So, all right. You ready for this? Are you ready? Brace yourself here. The 2022-2023 Georgia men's basketball program will make it to the NCAA tournament next season. Not the NIT, not the CBI, the legit NCAA tournament, not two years, three years from now, next season. Okay, it feels good to get that one off my chest. That's one I've been holding on to, to be entirely honest, just too afraid to put it out there for a couple of weeks now, just fearing the mockery and the condescension it would, I mean, certainly bring my way. And I know it's going to, guys. Bring it. Hit me with it. Hit us up on social media. I can take it. Uh, I knew it was going to bring that. I know it's going to bring that because that's crazy, right? Right? I mean, a program that went 6-26 and overall and 1-17 in, in conference last season is going to find its way somehow into the actual real-life NCAA tournament next season? What drugs are you on, Tyler? I mean, that's a joke, right? That's absurd, right? Or is it? Is it so absurd? I, for one, say no. Not so crazy. Not so crazy. And I know a lot of you are like just sitting there in disbelief right now. Like, did he just say that? Some of you might be about to turn this off. Like, I'm not going to listen to this junk. This guy's just making stuff up out of thin air. And I get that. Again, I get where you're coming from here. In the interest of full disclosure, I will tell you, I've held off, man. I really have. I've held off on putting this take out there because I couldn't tell. I really couldn't. I couldn't tell if it was just me getting caught up in the excitement I would kind of equate it to like a Tennessee football fan, just desperate, so desperate to be good again. Or, I mean, even just to find the slightest bit of relevancy. Is that what this was? Was it, was it a reflection of that? Just my desperation for Georgia basketball to be good and just my excitement over any kind of hope whatsoever? Or was this something that I actually believe, like I really believe in once the excitement of the new hire and all the guys we've lent in the transfer portal, our ability to, to keep a hold of, of our top contributors from last season, once the excitement from all that died down, is this something that I still believe in? So that's why I've kind of held off on just throwing this out there. I wanted to kind of get more of a feeling for like, do I really actually believe this? And so after some time to digest it all, I'm not going to sit here and say I believe it as strongly as I did at first blush once the initial excitement has worn off. And I'm certainly not going to go as far right now as guaranteeing that we will be in the NCAA tournament next season. I'm not going to go that far. But as I'm about to lay out for you guys, I like this roster. And I really like the coaching staff that we put together. I like both of them enough to believe that there is a legitimate possibility that, yes, we do make the NCAA tournament next year. And if I believe that, if I believe that we have a legit shot that we're going to be in the conversation why not walk out on that limb? Why not take the next logical step, the logical leap of faith there, and just go ahead and put it out there and say, I think that we are going to make the NCAA tournament? Because I do. I think that this team has NCAA tournament potential. Call me crazy if you want, which I'm sure about 97% of you out there listening to this episode are doing right about now. Call me crazy. That's probably fair. And look, I know, I know, guys, there are a lot of reasons why we won't make the tournament. 
And I know very well that history is certainly not on our side. That is very clear. But I'm choosing to take the optimistic approach here. The optimistic approach to the coaching change and, of course, the subsequent roster overall that we've seen over the past month or so. I'm choosing, personally, to focus on the reasons why we will make the tournament and not the reasons why we won't. And as for those reasons, let's dig in, man. I got a whole list of things to talk about here. Let me first say that a drastic turnaround of that degree is not unprecedented. You might think it is. Those of you who don't follow college basketball as closely as I do, a team that's six and what was six and twenty-six last year, one and seventeen in the conference, they're gonna make the NCAA tournament next year. Like, yeah, right, get out of here, get that out of my face. That's ridiculous. And you know what? Once upon a time, that was probably true, but over the past couple years, with the changes that we've seen in the college sports landscape, it's not common but it's certainly not unprecedented. The best example I'm going to give you, because it's the most recent example, is Iowa State from the Big 12. Again, I know most of you probably don't follow college basketball as closely as I do. I'm the weird one here. I watch it religiously, just like I watch college football religiously. I love college basketball. I genuinely love the sport. Iowa State, during the, the pandemic season, right? So that was what, 2020 and 2021, they were two and 22 overall. So not this past season, but the season before. 2 and 22 overall and 0 and 18 in the Big 12. And no, I did not make that up. Those are real numbers. 2 and 22 overall, 0 and 18 in the Big 12. 1 year later, fast forward 1 year. They get rid of their head coach just like we got rid of our head coach. They, were, they bring in a guy named TJ Otzelberger, and he takes that team in his first year, t- completely turns them around. They go 22-13 and 13 overall, and they earn an 11 seed in the NCAA tournament. And not only did they get into the tournament, they actually made a run to the Sweet 16 where they lost ultimately to the Miami Hurricanes. That is, the I think, the best example, the most recent example. There's a couple other examples here as well. Wake Forest is another recent example. They fell just so slightly short of making the NCAA tournament last year, but they should have been in, man. Honestly, I believe Wake Forest should have been in the tournament. But going back to 2020, 2021, so two years ago, they were 6-16 and overall, 3-15 and in the ACC. Fast forward one year, go to the next year, and they jump from 6 and 16 overall to 25 and 10 and 13 and 7 in the ACC. They were one of the first teams left out of the NCAA tournament. They were really in all year, according to all the bracketology stuff. They were in all year long, but an early exit in the ACC tournament when they were kind of on the bubble-ish and some other teams stole some bids, that ultimately dropped them out of the tournament. But that was an in, that was an NCAA tournament caliber team, which is what I think that we're going to be next year. We're going to be on the bubble like that, but Way Forest, turn around in one year, one year's time. Now, let's go back a little bit further here. 2014, Temple, I know it's not a Power 5 program, but Temple, still a good, proud basketball program. Temple went from 9-22 in 2014 to 26-11, made a run to the NCAA tournament. Not unprecedented. Let's go all the way back to the late 90s. 1998, Ohio State went from 8-22 in one year to 27-9 the next year. So those are just a couple of quick examples for you guys over the past, you know, a couple of those within the past two seasons 
You got one more than the past, you know, seven, eight years and one in the past, I guess, 25-ish years. So look, I know that type of turnaround is not common. I'm not sitting here trying to tell you, oh, this happens all the time. It does not. But at the same time, it's also not entirely unprecedented. We've seen it before and we've seen it very, very recently. And if you look at the most recent team to do that, Iowa State, the team I told you I think is the best example of this, of a quick turnaround. There are a lot of similarities between those two teams, those two programs. And I do, I want to use Iowa State as a case study here because I think it's the most recent and the most similar case to where our basketball program is right now. Now, clearly, if you follow college basketball at all, you know that Iowa State has a much richer basketball history than we do. Not that that's really much to say. It's not hard to do, but they do. And their fans, generally speaking, care far more about college basketball than your average Georgia fan does. That's fair. That's all true. But there are still a lot of similarities. Iowa State brought in a guy who knows how to coach basketball in TJ Otzelberger to replace Steve Prom, Prom, I should say. And it's amazing how much a program can improve when you have competent leadership at the top. Can improve that much in one season. I think there are strong parallels between the Cyclones bringing in Otzelberger and us ring ourselves a Tom Crean and bring in a proven coach with an elite eight resume. And actually, Mike White's far more accomplished than, than Otzelberger was when, when he came in. He was at uh, South Dakota State, and then he was at New Mexico, and or, I'm sorry, UNLV, and then he comes into Iowa State. He didn't have the resume that Mike White has, but I think there's certainly some parallels there. Another parallel between the two is that the roster transformation that took place it took place via the transfer portal for both programs. Iowa State's roster two years ago, when they were 2-22 and overall, it just wasn't good enough. I mean, obviously, it wasn't good enough. Just like ours last year, very clearly, was not good enough. And that's the thing, guys. That's the thing. I know how crazy it sounds for me to sit here and say that a team that went 6-27 and overall and 1-17 in the SEC is going to turn it all around in one year to the degree that they make the NCAA tournament. I know that makes me sound like the ultimate homer. I know all that. I, I have that awareness. And I think it's fair to say, yeah, that would have been crazy for me to say and suggest even like, I don't know, four or five years ago before the advent of the transfer portal. But that is now an antiquated notion. It's outdated. I know it's hard to get out of that mindset because that has been the mindset for so long that it just takes time to flip a roster. But the transfer portal has changed everything. Turnarounds, yeah, they used to take longer because it used to take multiple recruiting classes to purge your roster and bring in, quote unquote, your guys. I mean, how many times in your life have you heard people defend an underperforming coach by saying he needs time to bring in his guys? Well, that's not a thing anymore. I mean, I guess it's still somewhat of a thing in football when you have 85 scholarships that you're working with here. I mean, you're not going to bring in 85 new guys in one year. So it's certainly more of a thing in football where you still have to have time to turn over the roster and recruit and get guys in there. You just can't turn the roster over as quickly in football. But in basketball, when you only have 13 scholarships to work with, you absolutely can turn over the roster in one season. We have seen many different examples of that. In fact, we see many examples each and every year. And that is exactly what Iowa State did last year. 
And it's exactly what we've done this year. 10 players, 10 players from last year's team have either transferred out or have exhausted their eligibility. And we have added, as of right now, seven new players so far to the roster with two scholarships still available out there for us to work with. And while it certainly remains to be seen exactly how good the new guys will be, that's a, that's a fair criticism. We don't know. I am projecting here. That's fair. One thing I will absolutely guarantee to you right now is that they will 100% be upgrades over the guys they were, were replacing. That is a roster turnaround. And that's what you're able to, new, to do now in the era of the transfer portal. It is not, guys, it is not unprecedented for a team to do this, to go from worst to first in the modern context of college basketball. It's just not. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And foremost among the reasons why I believe that we can make that transformation, that we can make that admittedly massive leap in one season to make that kind of one-year turnaround is my belief in Cario Aquendo. If you're going to make that kind of one-year turnaround, you need to have an absolute star leading the way. You need to have that night-in and night-out primary scoring option. You're not going to do it with a bunch of role players. That is not going to happen. And Supercario, in my very humble opinion, is a star in the making. He started to become that guy down the stretch last season. He averaged over 21 points a game over the last nine games of the regular season, and he actually averaged 20 points per game against NCAA tournament teams. I bring that up to make sure you understand he's not just putting up stats against lesser competition. He played really well against the best teams on our schedule for the most part, by and large. And if you didn't watch much Georgia basketball last year, I can't blame you, man. I really can't. If you're not familiar with the Quindo, he's a six foot four, 210 pound shooting guard without of this world athleticism. I mean, this dude is a highlight machine. He does need to improve his three point shot. He shot only 27% from three last year. 
He needs to improve that. Although he showed, like, he could get hot in games and showed the ability to be a guy that can knock things down from range. He just has to be more consistent there. So he needs to improve that. Now, I also think he needs to improve his understanding of when to assert himself, like how to be the guy. Like, that is a skill in its own, right? It really is in its own way. Knowing how to be that lead player, that's that's something that takes some time to learn. But I started to see that from him as we got towards the end of the season last year. He did have a minor injury in the middle portion of the conference season, but really turned it on once he got back. And I mean, he can absolutely create. I mean, he, he needs to improve the three-point shooting for sure, but athleticism, ability to create off the bounce, oh, he can do that, man. He can finish at the rim. I believe that Cario Aquindo is going to become a name that all college basketball fans around the country get to know real fast next season. I, I truly do believe that. I'm so, so thrilled that we were able to get him back in the fold here. If you guys aren't familiar with his story, he was a Juco guy. Got, we landed him in the transfer portal last year. He did enter the portal not right after the season. It took some time. So it's kind of like, is he, is he or is he not? We don't know. I was keeping my fingers crossed. Then he enters, enters the transfer portal. When that happened, like, even though we had the, the higher Mike White there, which I was excited about, like I, my hopes faded very quickly. But Mike White did not give up. Mike White started to fill out his staff. Aquindo had not committed anywhere else. I was watching that very closely. And sure enough, we were finally able to reel him back in and get him back in the fold, which we added a bunch of guys to this roster. There are going to be a bunch of new faces, just like there was last year. But this is the biggest win. Keeping Oquindo in the fold was the biggest win for Mike White and his staff of the offseason, as far as I'm concerned. Because again, I truly believe he's going to be a star next year. And if you're going to make the NCAA tournament, you got to have that dude. You got to have that guy, no doubt about it. So if we have the star to build around, if we have that piece in Supercario, Again, just like Iowa State, here's another, here's another similarity between the two. Iowa State had their guy last year, their star, Isaiah Brockington. He was in that role for them last year. But while having that star, that go-to score, that's a requirement in my estimation, that alone is not enough. Let me just write off some names off for you. Some big-time scorers who missed out on the NCAA tournament last year because their team didn't have that much success. Let's start with Vanderbilt. Scotty Pippen, let's stay in the SEC here. Scotty Pippen Jr., was a fantastic player for Vanderbilt. He has been since he's been there. He's a big-time scorer for them. He averaged 20 and a half points a game last year. Vanderbilt didn't make the tournament, didn't sniff it, 19 and 17 overall. Washington, way out west, had a guy named Terrell Brown Jr., top 10 in the country in scoring, 21.7 points per game. Washington didn't sniff the tournament, 17 and 15 overall in a watered-down Pac-12. DePaul in the Big East had Javon Freeman Liberty, 21.7 points per game. They finished 15 and 16. So having that star, that lead score, you got to have that. That is a requirement, but it's not enough in isolation. There's got to be more than just that. He has to have some help. And that is another reason that I am high on this team's potential. Not only do we have the guy I believe is going to be a star, but we have the other pieces of the puzzle, the role players to support him, which we emphatically did not have last year. We didn't have a star last year. I mean, Aquindo was down the stretch for us, but he was not that guy all year. You saw flashes of it. I think he's ready to take the next step and be that guy with a much better coaching staff to work with to help him get to that point. So we didn't really have any of it last year. We were just obviously abysmal with only six wins on the year. But one thing you got to have, if you want to have some role players, 
you have to have that facilitator to set up the star and to run the offense. And that's where Bradley transfer Terry Roberts comes in. He's also a guy that has the ability to score. He averaged 14.5 points per game last year in the Missouri Valley. Averaged five rebounds per game, four assists per game. He shot 35% from three, 46% from the field. He's an experienced point guard. He played with Cario, Quindo, and Juco, so they have that connection. He is 100% going to be an upgrade over Aaron Cook. Again, I cannot tell you how good he's going to be. I know there's a transition from the Missouri Valley to the SEC. I, I think that's a fair thing to say. But what I can tell you is that he's going to be an upgrade over Aaron Cook because Cook was just not good. Cook was not good. He averaged 10 points a game, 38% from the field, 28% from three. You know, some people were excited about getting him. I, I was, I felt he was a good piece to have getting him out of Gonzaga last year in the transfer portal. But he'd been in college for four years, five years, I think, actually, and had never really done anything, never been that kind of guy. So I always thought it was kind of a reach to expect him to be that guy. And yeah, that turned out to be the case. So he's going to be an upgrade over Aaron Cook at point guard. I'm not suggesting that Roberts is an elite player. He has not shown that yet, but I have seen enough from him to say that I do think he is absolutely an SEC caliber starter, which again, I do not believe that Aaron Cook was last year, who can set the table, can defend, and can be a complimentary scorer to a quindo. Again, we did not have that last year. I believe now we do have that. That's big. I think we have two lead guards that we can operate off of. You got two lead guards like that, you're in pretty good shape. You're going to have a chance to win a lot of basketball games. And then we added depth to the backcourt with a couple more quality transfers. It's not just those two lead guards. There's a couple more guys in the backcourt that I really like. They're going to give us some really good quality depth off the bench. Justin Hill, a guy from Longwood. Longwood, you've probably never heard of. Um, they were in the NCAA tournament. They played Tennessee. They lost that game in the first round of the NCAA tournament. But Justin Hill was the best player on that Longwood team. He's a smaller guy, six foot 185. Now, he's short. He's not small. He's actually pretty compact in how he's built. But he's a shorter guy. Averaged 14.2 points per game for Longwood, an NCAA tournament team last year. Five rebounds, four assists per game. Shot 34% from three. He's a quality shooter. He's not an, He didn't show last year to be an elite shooter, but he's certainly a good quality shooter that also has the ability to, to create off the dribble. He'll likely, if I had to project right now, I think he's going to serve primarily in the backup point guard role, if I had to say right now. But again... That's a major upgrade over our backup point guard from last year, who was true freshman Christian Wright, who really, I saw some good things from him early, but he lost his confidence. Screen just didn't know how to handle him and just rode him very, very hard. I got unfairly hard, I believe. And he completely lost his confidence as the season progressed. And now he's transferred out. He's gone. But I'm very confident that Justin Hill is going to be an upgrade over what we had as a backup point guard last year. He also, I think he also has the ability to slide out and play off the ball as well. But I think he'll probably be our primary backup at the point guard position. And then we got a guy from North Texas, Marjez McBride, who's a 6'2", 180 shooting guard, shot 39% from three. I would call him a three-point specialist. He averaged 11 points per game for North Texas last year. And that was a really good North Texas team. I don't believe they made the tournament, if I remember correctly, but they were right there on the bubble all year long. I believe they lost in their conference tournament, but they were a team that had a shot to make the tournament all season long. And he is a good Scoring option in the backcourt coming off the bench. You've got to have guys like this, some instant offense. And I think both Justin Hill and Marjorie McBride can give us that scoring punch off the bench. And then in the front court and at wing, we added some serious length and athleticism. One guy I'm really excited about is Frank Anselm from Syracuse. 
He didn't play much for Syracuse last year, only averaged 14 minutes per game, but I like his physical profile. In fact, I love his physical profile. I think he he's not very polished right now. He's not going to come in and be a big-time scorer, but the physical tools I think you can work with. 6'10", long, athletic. This guy can play. Only averaged 2.6 points per game, 3.8 rebounds per game. So good. And the numbers don't wow. You look at those numbers, you're like, like this guy's not going to do anything. But he has the ability to give us what we need him to give us from a modern big. He can run, he can rebound, he can protect the rim, he can be a rim runner, he can be a pick and roll lob threat, which is really what you need from bigs in this day and age. I think he gives that to us. I like the athleticism that he gives us off the bench because I do think that Baylen Bridges, Braylon Bridges is going to be the starter at center again, but we didn't have anybody to back him up off the bench. We had no size last year. We solved that problem by bringing a guy like Frank Anselm, who can certainly give us that size, that length, that athleticism off the bench in the front court, which is something that we were in desperate need of last year. Again, we've got it this year. We've answered that question. Then here's another guy with some length that's going to play in the front court, Matthew Alexander Moncrief. Again, like Anselm, didn't play a ton for Oklahoma State last year. 14.8 minutes per game, only averaged 4.2 points per game, 3.9 rebounds. But that's not what I'm concerned about. I, I, I readily admit that the production wasn't there. He didn't play that much. But I'm looking at what he can project to be for us next year. And if you watch the guy play, which I did last year, I think he has the tools, like Anselm, to be a guy that can really help us win basketball games. He's six seven. He's not quite Anselm's height and length, but he's got good length for that size. He could function in the post for us, but I think he's more of a wing defender. And you got to have guys like that. You have to have a guy that can defend on the wing. And I think that Alexander Moncrief can give us that. He's not going to be a big time scorer. He can finish around the rim. He can handle the ball a little bit. He can shoot a little bit, but he's he's not going to be that kind of guy. He's not a three-point threat or anything like that, but he can fill a role that we need him to fill. Again, we did not have guys like him last year that could be, I don't know if I'm ready to call him a defensive stopper, but a guy that can at least defend some of the scoring wings out there and give us a chance to win basketball games. I think he's a very valuable piece in, in that role. And then here's another really intriguing piece that's 100% going to be a wing. Jaswan Holt from Alabama, 6'7". He was a fringe top 100 recruit coming out of high school last year. Played at Alabama. Didn't play really in, at all, really. He, played, he averaged seven minutes per game. Was not a factor for them. But he was a true freshman. And again, I'm, I'm projecting here. I'm projecting. You have to because he didn't play a lot last year. But the little bit I did see of him, I think he's got good length. I really like his athleticism. He Now, he's a guy that does have the ability to shoot the three. He can step out and knock the three down. He can also put the ball on the floor, create, finish at the rim. I think he's more of a classic wing. Whereas Anselm, he's certainly uh, a, a center guy. He's, he's a, a four or five guy that's going to play in the post. Alexander Moncrief can kind of go back and forth. Holt's not a post guy at all. He, he's a wing 100%. And I don't know. I don't fully know what to expect from him, but he does have the recruiting pedigree. And I liked what I saw from him in very small doses last year. And he might not be a big factor for us this year, but I think he'll get some opportunities. And I think in the future, he can be a guy that contributes to this basketball team. Now, another player, we only got one guy right now that's a true freshman that we're getting from the high school ranks. And I actually really like him, man. I really do. I like this guy a lot. Kyron Lindsay, 6'8", 205, strong frame, really well-built guy, really well put together. And he's a skilled big. He, he's got a polished back-the-basket post game. He can face up and hit jump shots. He's also shown the ability to put the ball on the court from the perimeter and create off the dribble. 
He's a good, strong defender with athleticism to contest shots at the rim. I think he has some positional versatility. I, I do think he's going to function more in the post. But he can play four, he can play five, depending on what we need from him. And he might not be ready to help us right away. Like some some guys like Anselm and Alexander Moncrief could be ready to help us right away. I think they're more likely to help us right away. But Lindsey is a guy I'm not going to count out. I, again, I really like the frame. I like the skill set. And it would not surprise me at all to see him really work himself into some quality playing time as a true freshman next year. I, I really like this guy. And even if it's not next year, I think down the road, he's going to be a big time contributor for us here in Athens. So to sum all that up, what did we add? Well, we've added a quality starting point guard, scoring punch off the bench in the backcourt, which I think you got to have. We've added length and athleticism in the front court that gives us a better ability, a much better ability to rebound and defend than we did last year, which were both major issues for us. We were dead last in the SEC in rebounding. We were dead last in the SEC in block shots. We were 348th nationally in defensive efficiency, 339th nationally in opponent field goal percentage. Just abysmal, really everywhere, but especially in those areas. And bringing in guys like Frank Anselm, Alexander Moncrief, Kyron Lindsay, I think that really helps us shore up some of those issues that we had last year. And really, we just added a general upgrade in talent. That's what we did. This is a talent upgrade. It is a net positive with the guys that left and the guys that we've replaced them with and brought them in via the transfer portal, I guess in Lindsay's case, the high school ranks. It is a net positive, a net upgrade in talent, and that has me excited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. But those are only the additions. It's been very well documented how many players we lost from last year's team. Very well documented. People have had a great time this offseason pointing and laughing at how many guys for the second year in a row that have left this program, saying, oh, our program is going up in flames, if we even had a program to go up in flames with in the first place. People like to sensationalize that. It's fun. It's dramatic. I get it, right? What no one really likes to mention, though, when they talk about the departures, because it just doesn't fit the narrative is that we're not going to miss even one of those players. Not even one of those players that left. Most of those guys were non-factors, non-contributors. They didn't do anything for this team last year. And the guys that stuck around are the ones who actually did contribute to the team last season. Those are the guys that I wanted to, to stick around. I've already gone over Cario Quindo. We've talked about him, but again... Aquindo, he's the star. He's the guy. But it's not just him. And like I said earlier, every star needs players that can hit shots and make teams pay 
when they double him and try to take him away, take pressure off of this guy. And I think both Jalen Ingram and especially Jabri Abdurrahim can do just that. Now, Ingram, who's a 6'7", 225-pound forward, who, who can function in the post. We had to do him, had to use him in that regard last year because we just didn't have any other size outside of Bridges. But he's a guy that can function in the post effectively, but can also step outside and hit shots and operate as a wing. He only played nine games last year because he tore his ACL early in the season. But at that point, nine games in, he was, in my estimation, our most consistent player. He's a career 35% shooter from three, but that's kind of skewed because he wasn't great there early on in his career. He shot over 42% two of the last, what, two last three years at FAU and shot 45% at FAU before he transferred to Athens last year. This guy can shoot the basketball. He's got that track record. He's got that in his background. But he can also play around the basket. And, and while like he's definitely not the best athlete, like he, I will say that he's not the, the best athlete in the world, but he's a solid defender. And what he provides us more than anything is veteran leadership. And that's important, guys. That's going to be imperative on a team like this with so many new pieces that you've got to meld together. You need to have that veteran leadership. And a guy like Ingram brings you that. I mean, this is his sixth year in college. He chose to came back. He, he chose to come back and use his COVID year, and I'm excited about that because again, I think he can contribute on the court. I think he's a guy that can that can score for us, but that leadership is huge. We don't necessarily have that, and he gives us that. I'm really excited about that. Now, Jabri Abdurrahim is a guy I'm really intrigued by. He's a tall, long wing player for us. He was really inconsistent last year, but we have to remember he was still a very young player. That last year was really his first action. At the college level. He committed to Virginia at a high school, didn't really play for them as a true freshman, transferred here last year, and got more playing time, but didn't play as much as some of the other guys. He wasn't really a starter. I think he started a couple games, but his role was primarily a scorer off the bench. But it was his first real action, and there's also the little fact that, oh yeah, he had a train wreck of a head coach who just was not developing the players. It's just that simple. He ended up playing 18 minutes a game for us, averaged seven points a game, Again, he's tall, long, 6'8", 210 pounds. I don't think that Abdurrahim is ever going to be a star for us or for any team if he decides to transfer out at some point. I honestly don't even think he's going to be a number two option. Maybe at some point if he's an upperclassman, maybe, maybe. I'm not going to completely close the door on that possibility, but right now he's not that. I don't expect that from him next year. But what he is is a guy who can come off the bench and give you some scoring punch with the versatility to play multiple positions. I think he, he obviously can play the three. He's a wing. He can play the four. Maybe in a crunch, he could play like shooting guard, but that's not really what he is. I mean, I think we have, at times last year, kind of had to use him in that role because we didn't really have a bunch of depth off the bench, but we have guys this year, so it's not really going to be that option. He's going to be a three or four. He's going to be a forward. And he's a guy that at that position can give us that scoring punch. I do think he needs to pick it up on the defensive end. He was not good defensively last year. No one really was for us last year, but he certainly was not good. Again, he was young. He was still learning. And I'm not sure he's ever going to be a great defender because he was bad last year, but I am hopeful with a new coach, new staff that, oh, I don't know, actually teach defense and have some sort of expectations for their team to play defense, put any sort of emphasis on it whatsoever. I'm hopeful that he can take at least some strides in that area 
and at least know what to do, where to be, and not have just like the brain farts, the blown assignments over and over again, because that killed us at times last year. But again, I don't think he's a star, but I believe that Abdurrahim is a valuable role player and the kind of guy that a team just needs off the bench. I think he's a really valuable guy in that role. And burying the lead here, I mean, we talked about Aquindo, the other returning starter that we had coming back from last year's team is Braylon Bridges, who was our starter at center all year last year. The only player on the team to start all 32 games for us. Averaged 13 points, five and a half rebounds, shot 63.5% from the field. In fact, I don't think we got, them, got him the ball enough in the post. I thought he was very, very effective in the post when given opportunities, as evidenced by the 63-plus percent field goal percentage. That is amazing. But he's a guy that gives us that scoring threat in the post. He is not a, a, an elite defender by any stretch of imagination. He's not a, a big-time rim protector, but he's competent in those roles but he makes up for it, again, with the ability to score in the post. And he's a guy, especially if you leave him one-on-one, he can make you pay. If you leave him one-on-one in the post, if, if we let's say we're playing four out, one in, right? And you got four guys operating on the perimeter, which I think we have the, the ability to do this year with the guys that we have brought in. And you've got Bridges operating the post one-on-one and you leave him in single coverage, he is going to make you pay. He's got the, the skills to score in the post like that. He absolutely does. And then if you start doubling him, if he starts hurting you a little bit, I think we've added enough shooters, which again, we didn't have last year, to make teams pay for that. If they help off of a guy on the perimeter, I think that he can make those teams pay. I really believe that. And I think that is a, a big thing in today's game when you see teams trying to space out their opponent playing four out, five out, whatever it is. If you have four out and one guy that can operate in the post and can score one-on-one in the post, it makes it really tough for teams to defend you if you also have guys on the perimeter that can sit there and knock down shots. And again, I think that we have brought in some guards that can 100% absolutely do that. So I think that he is a great complement to a very strong group of guards. And I think he's going to be a guy that has an even better year for us than what he was last year. He was a very good, consistent player for us. Not elite, but a very consistent player for us. In fact, I would argue he was the most consistent player for us on the team. Not the best. That was a quindo. But in terms of consistency, night in, night out, you pretty much knew what you were getting from Bridges. And I, I think there's something to be said for that. And then last but not least, another guy who entered the portal like a quindo. But it's starting to look like he will indeed be coming back for another year in Athens. I don't think there's been an official announcement made as far as I know, but all signs that I've read are pointing towards him coming back to be a part of this team for another year as a walk-on, as he has been for the past couple years, and that is Jackson Etter. And I know this is a guy that takes a lot of heat because, let's face it, he doesn't really have SEC-level athleticism. He just doesn't. That's the reality. But that does not mean that he does not have value. Let's not confuse those two things. The problem last year with Edder is that Tom Crean did such a tragic job with roster management that as a walk-on, Edder was thrust into a starting role, a role in which he was woefully unfit for. This guy is not an SEC starter. That, that's just the situation. He's just not. But last year with our disaster of a roster, he was forced to start 22 of 32 games and play 25 minutes a game last year after playing eight minutes a game the year before. So if if Jackson has to start for your team and play 25 minutes a night in the SEC, you are in trouble, which clearly we were in last year. Where he has value 
is as a defensive effort glue guy off the bench that, yeah, can hit the occasional three and will make all the hustle plays. He's the kind of guy that's going to give you the hustle spark off the bench. Some guys, you know, like some guys will give you the scoring spark off the bench, like your team's struggling offensively, you, you plug them in, and they hit some shots right off the bat, and they give you that scoring spark to get things going. Edder, I don't know if he's that kind of guy. What he does is give you the hustle spark. He'll come in and make the hustle play where he's diving out of bounds to save a ball. He's uh, diving on the floor, all those kind of things. Give you that hustle spark that can kind of ignite your team. He has that ability. He can do that. I think the sweet spot for Edder is about, I don't know, 8 to 15 minutes a game, something like that. Maybe a stretch in the first half, a stretch in the second half. Fortunately, I think that we have built our our roster enough this year to make that possible. He's not going to be a starter. He's not going to be a a primary scorer off the bench because that's just not what he's built to do. But I do think he has value and I do think he's going to have a role in this team. And I'm actually excited that he is back this year for another go around because I think he's a guy that just adds toughness to your team and that can kind of rub off on the other guys. And talk about leadership, Jackson Edder is a guy that can absolutely give you that in the locker room. And I, I don't think that's something that should be discounted whatsoever. So, From a roster standpoint, I do think that we have the pieces. I know this sounds crazy to a lot of you, but I think we have the pieces to make a legitimate run at the NCAA tournament this year. Now, granted, that's largely contingent upon Aquindo taking that next step that I saw him start to take at the end of last year and becoming that night-in, night-out star who plays at an all-SEC first-team type level. We're going to need him to be that guy. I will readily admit that. We need him to be that guy. Without that happening, all this goes out the window and just it's null and void. Just forget I even said it. But I love what I saw from him at the end of last season. I get, again, I started to see him take those steps, and I believe it's just logical for him to take that next step with a better coaching staff, another year under his belt. He's ready to step into that role and be that guy. And then I think we have a potential Robin to a Quindos Batman and Terry Roberts at point guard. I think we have that potential candidate right there, that Robin candidate with Terry Roberts. I think we have two lead scoring guards, and that's a fantastic starting point. And then on top of that, I think we have multiple options that could drop, I don't know, 18, 20 points on any given night to be that third score. I don't think it's going to be one guy every night that's going to be the consistent third score, but we have different guys that could show up on any given night and be that player. I think it could be Ingram one night. It could be McBride one night. It could be Braylon Bridges one night. It could be Abdur Rahim one night. I think we have those guys that have the potential to pick up the slack if, you know, God forbid, a Quindo has an off night. Because it happens. Even the best guys out there, they have off nights. But I think we have some guys this year that can step up and, and fill in for a Quindo on a given night, which, again, we just didn't have last year. We just did not have guys that could do that consistently last year. But my confidence in this team extends beyond just the roster itself. That's obviously a big part of it because talent wins. I made that very clear when I talk about college sports, talent wins. But maybe the biggest reason I think we have a shot to make the tournament this year, outside of Cario Quindo coming back, of course, is the fact that we have an actual, real basketball coach who is not so weird and absurdly awkward that he lacks the ability to reach or connect with his players in any way, shape, or form. And I know some of you out there have bought into the narrative that Mike White is just an average coach at best, that Florida fans want and gone anyway. But when you say that and you you put that out there, I think you're just ignoring the context. And look, you can have whatever opinion you want. That's fine. I mean, that's cool. Do, do you. That's totally cool. But let's also look at the context. 
And I said this many times, I don't want to rehash this too much, but yeah, he wasn't Billy Donovan. Very few coaches are. I mean, Billy Donovan's in the NBA right now. It's back-to-back national title kind of guy. I mean, he single-handedly ignited the, the Florida basketball program. Mike White was not that right off the bat. I'm not making any bones about that. He wasn't. But who is? Just because he wasn't Billy Donovan doesn't mean he wasn't a good coach. Doesn't mean he didn't have success at Florida in the SEC. Because he did. He absolutely did. He made an Elite Eight. He's a guy that has a track record of getting to the NCAA tournament and not only getting there, but winning every single time. Four times made the tournament at Florida. He didn't make it last year and didn't make it in the COVID year because... It got canceled. The season got canceled. But of all the years they were eligible to make the tournament at Florida under Mike White, they made it all but one year, all but last year. And every time they made it, they won in play tournament game. They won a game every single time. And honestly, look at it this way, guys. Tell me, what coaches in the SEC have better resumes? What coaches in the SEC are more accomplished than Mike White? Like, really? I mean, Coach Cal at Kentucky, of course. He's got a national title to his resume, a couple Final Fours. Bruce Pearl has a Final Four, fair, more accomplished, sure. Rick Barnes, I would say, has a better resume, is more accomplished because he does have a Final Four, and he has three Elite Eights. But that's also over the course of 35 years. But I guess if we're going by accomplishments and resumes, sure, let's throw Rick Barnes in there, say he has a better resume. Eric Musselman at Arkansas, I think it's fair to say now. I mean, back-to-back Elite Eights at Arkansas. I'll give him that. He has a better resume. He's more accomplished than Mike White. But, I mean, look at the rest of the SEC, guys. Look at these coaches. Let's go down the list here. See, Alabama was a Nate Oates. I mean, won the SEC, but hasn't made a deep run in the NCAA tournament. Early exit this past year, actually. Florida, Todd Golden. He's well-respected in, in the profession, but San Francisco made the tournament one time with them. And maybe that's, that, that is an achievement. You know, taking San Francisco to the tournament as an at-large team, but doesn't have the resume of Mike White. Matt McMahon. Took over a really good Murray State program. Doesn't have the resume of Mike White. Chris Jans, Mississippi State. No, doesn't have the resume. Dennis Gates, absolutely not at Missouri. Ole Miss, uh, Kermit Davis, no. Did a good job there at Ole Miss, but doesn't have the resume of Mike White. Doesn't have an Elite Eight run on his, on his resume. Lamont Paris at South Carolina, nope, absolutely not. Who else am I missing here? Uh, oh, A&M, Buzz Williams. Really, really good coach. I think highly of Buzz Williams, but doesn't have the resume that Mike White has. Jerry Stackhouse has never made the tournament doesn't have the resume. So if you're looking at this list of coaches in the SEC, Mike White is at worst, even all you, like the biggest critics of Mike White would have to admit that he's at worst a top five coach in the SEC right now in terms of his resume. And guys, we have him. Georgia has him. A program with one Final Four and only 12 total tournament appearances in 117 years in our program's history, we've got that guy. We have him. So yeah, okay, we don't have Cal or Pearl or Barnes or Muss. We don't have the Muss bus. But considering who we are as a program, landing a coach of the caliber of Mike White, that is a massive shot in the arm. It is, guys. He's a younger guy who can connect with and relate to players, who can actually coach defense, who knows how to run a program, And he's a guy who, again, has consistently won in this league and consistently put his teams in the NCAA tournament and won games when he's gotten there. So if you take all of that, put it in a blender, I think you have a recipe for an NCAA tournament contender. 
I am not saying that we're going to be flirting with the top of the SEC next year. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I think we have the pieces and the coaches to have us in the conversation all year long for an NCAA tournament bid. Kind of on the bubble. That's what I see. I see this team sneaking in when it's all said and done, being on the bubble most of the year, but getting enough wins to find our way in as a 10 or 11 seed, something like that. That's what I'm saying right now. Now, yeah, I will admit this could just be me buying into the hype after being so desperate for winning basketball. Sure, that's certainly possible. But I did, guys. I, I told you at the outset of the show, I, I've held off on this. I've held off on putting this out there because I wanted to see, is this something I'm just kind of getting too hyped about without any sort of substance there? Or do I really believe this? And right now, I lean towards I really believe this. I reserve the right to, to adjust this as time goes on. But you know what? Where I am right now, I truly believe this team has NCAA tournament potential for all the reasons that I laid out for you guys on the show today. So that's it, guys. That's the basketball episode. I wanted to get on here before we get hot and heavy into all of the, the football coverage, the preview of the 2022 football season, which is coming up rapidly because, man, the summer is getting here real quick. I mean, in Athens, if the weather's an indication, it's basically summer already. I mean, it was 85 degrees yesterday. Like, absurd. It's it's the summer. But before we get too deep in the summer and we get on the football talk, I wanted to jump in here with this short little window we had, small window, to get in a little bit of basketball talk for you guys. So I love to hear what you guys think. I have a feeling I'm going to get a lot of people just laughing at me and telling me I'm crazy, which that's fine. That's cool. But hit us up, guys. Let us know on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. Curtis and I will be back next week. Make sure, guys, if you have any questions, any questions, football, basketball, baseball, tennis, whatever, anything in the world of Georgia sports or anything that's even Georgia adjacent, the world of college football, make sure to send those questions to us at glory underscore UGA on Twitter. You can email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Instagram, and we will cover those questions here over the next couple months as we preview the 2022 football season. And again, whatever it is that you want us to talk about. But thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed this basketball episode. I know we don't get to do many of these, but I want to get on here and do at least one before we get into the summer. So I hope you enjoyed it. Have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy it, guys. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.